This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're live, everybody tuning in. This is another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. Obviously, we wish we were talking about the Ducks on better terms. Uh, the Ducks find themselves on the wrong end of a uh, 0-2 series deficit to the Sharks. They go down tonight in Honda Center in Game 2, 3-2. to They fought hard, but ill-advised penalties just seem to keep happening, and I feel like that is what the Sharks wanted. I felt like that was part of the game plan. Get the Ducks riled up. They're going to take dumb penalties, and sure enough, Eddie, that's kind of where we sit right now, down 0-2 in the series. Yeah, I mean, this this game, they came out better. Uh, it wasn't like last game where we were saying, oh, well, you know, there were some underlying things that looked good, but on the surface, everything looked bad. Uh, and this game, it was. The, I think this is the game we expected. You know, the close one-goal game where there was a lot of fight from both teams. And the Ducks just couldn't come out on top, but you know it, it's it's disappointing being down 0-2. But people got to you know people got to look at this in perspective, and it's not over. I mean, we said this on the last show, and and it's it's hard to sit down in a hole down 0-2 and say it's not over. But you got to have some faith that this team can come back. And I know they haven't really shown it, but I, I felt like they fought hard in this game, and they really battled at times. And you know they, they can come out, and if San Jose wins both games on home ice in Anaheim. There's there's, you know, the Ducks can go and do the same thing in the Shark Tank of San Jose. It's not going to be easy, but, I mean, the Sharks can do it. I feel like Anaheim can come back and do the same thing. They just got to up their game. Well, and I don't want to uh, kind of shoot down what you just said right there, but uh, according to NHL publications, they just tweeted out, teams that take a 2-0 lead on the road in a best-of-seven series hold an all-time series record of 70-19. and That's a 70.7% chance of closing out so you're saying so (laughs) there is a slight chance that the ducks can turn us around look it's happened yeah you all know what happens i'm not i'm not going to be uh bad news the entire show but it's it's pretty tough to swallow this is not the type of uh situation we felt the ducks were going to be in right now we really felt like it was going to be at worst a split and at best obviously a 2-0 series lead and just to find the Ducks not in this position after the way they played down the stretch, sure, there were holes in the game. But, I mean, you and I kind of touted the Sharks as a good opponent. You know, yeah. we were more worried about the speed of Vegas. Obviously, we thought that it would be the Kings would be the best opportunity for the Ducks. They didn't get them. And we're like, good, they didn't get Vegas either. But, I mean, maybe the Sharks were we, – we overlooked them. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think we did as a matchup because the Sharks are really putting on a good show on the road. I don't know if we overlooked them as much as I mean we thought it would be one of the easier matchups. I think we you and me both agreed the Kings would probably be the best matchup for Anaheim. Sharks were a second, and, and then uh, Vegas was a distant third. I, I think this is kind of what we expected from San Jose, and, and it, it's kind of scary that 
the way they're playing without Joe Thornton in the lineup. They've really given the Ducks fits. Uh, I felt like the offense was better from Anaheim in this game, uh, but it still has its issues. Uh, there's still a lot of guys who really were a non-factor in this game up front for the Ducks, and um, it, it's surprising a, a bit because I, I felt like the Ducks could have could push San Jose a bit harder, and, and it would be a matchup that would be favorable. I mean, John Gibson's playing well. And we had pegged saying if John Gibson can play well, this team can be in it. Missing Cam Fowler is going to be tough. But uh, it, it kind of seems like they haven't been able to overcome Fowler's absence. And the offense hasn't stepped up to really cover that hole. And that's, I feel like, has been the big issue for the Ducks. And it's something they're going to have to, to work on and change if they can going into Game 3 on Monday. Yeah, they need to figure it out. The big guns are kind of silent. They had their chances. Um, let's get into the pregame here. Bieksa slots in, Andy Walensky comes out. That's a move that we were hoping for and ended up happening here. Yeah. And then look at the rest of the lineup, the scratches. Obviously, Cam Fowler still out with that shoulder injury. Corbinian Holzer, Jason Chimera, Captain Canada, Troy Terry, and then, as I just said, Andy Walensky out. It's Gibby versus Martin Jones. That's the matchup we absolutely thought was going to just maintain. No goalie. I mean, come on. No goalie was going to slot in yeah. here, but then got to put it up. Um, let's go ahead and run the intro and get the show started. Get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. Corey Perry. Lillian able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around the front. Score. Damon Solani with the steal. Three of the fans won one. Score. Off the A lot of different opinions in the chat about how this game went, and it's kind of reminiscent of what we've seen on Twitter today. Just quickly running through it, Quacking Steve said, better game, but still very disappointing, especially the silly penalties. Ruben said, the game that got away. Drew said, top line needs to get on the board. Jason said, bad calls. And then uh, Quacking Steve back in here saying, a little luck in front of the goal, and maybe the series are tied. People seem to be split. On whether it's the refs, if it's the offense, if the Ducks just weren't getting a little bit of luck. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways people are leaning. I would go with ill-advised penalties and uh, inability to finish net front chances. Yeah. Honestly. There's how many times we see a net front scramble in front of Jones and packs and whacks at the puck, and they're either not hitting the puck, it's hitting a defenseman. For whatever reason, either the Sharks are causing that to be the issue or they're getting in the way, which obviously is part of it. And a little bit of a little bit of that is luck. I mean, some of that's just the way the game goes. I mean, you can't really control that. But I mean, if they're able to finish in front of the net, I feel like there'd be an opportunity for this series to be split right now, especially with the posts being hit. I mean, you know, Perry hit a post in the second period after Lenholm put a goal in. I mean, spoiler alert, obviously, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> not that anyone doesn't know the, the outcome of the game, but uh, yeah, I really feel like that could be the case. Uh, that what's killed them the, the last two games. I mean, for me, is the the net front presence and the penalties. Yeah, yeah, and the penalties weren't as much of an issue, I think, in this game. You know, more so the issues, I think, that people had with penalties is ones that weren't called and ones that were called because uh, a lot of uh, hands up in the air about the, the Montour penalty uh, that was borderline. Uh, I mean, the, it was ended up calling hooking, which I think was really surprising. Uh, I mean, if you're going to call that anything, I feel like it's maybe borderline interference. You know, that one stands out because 
San Jose gets a goal off that, and and that's where I think all the the refs winning this game for San Jose talk comes from. Um, and, and then of course, right before that, Kasha was tripped up by Tierney, and that was missed uh, on the broadcast. They said that he had stepped on the stick, on the stick, so maybe that's what the uh, the refs had saw. So you know, that's where a lot of this ref stuff comes from. Is is it's always? I mean, if if they don't score on that power play, we probably don't hear about it, right? I, I mean, if that Montour penalty doesn't lead to a Sharks goal which ultimately ends up being the game winner, I believe. I mean, we don't really hear about it. It, it doesn't really come up. Maybe it's it, maybe a little bit, but it not. it's definitely not at the forefront of discussion as it is after this game. No, it's true, but, I mean, you can't leave the game in the hands of the refs. Yeah. You just can't. you got to come out and play your game and get the win. And sometimes it happens, but, I mean, the Ducks let the game get away in, the, in game one. So even if this game got out of the way, it'd be a, tie, a tight series 1-1, which is not ideal, but it's not terrible. Now they find themselves going on the road, not getting the matchups they're going to want. I mean, if you guys thought the, the third pair was, was exposed in game one, I mean, well, Bieksa was exposed in game two. How's that going to look in game three and four in San Jose when the Sharks can just eat them up with whatever lines they want to put out there? Yeah. It's, it's a dangerous game. Anaheim has put themselves to be playing on the road down 0-2. And sure, there's chances where the Ducks can come back and win. It's happened and happened over the over their uh, NHL history. And you know, it's it's not a big chance, but we're not out of it yet. I mean, that's the positive thing. But looking back at it, the Ducks are really putting themselves in just a brutal position going into Game Three. But let's kick off the first period here and talk about. What, I mean, no one thought the Ducks were going to come out and dominate as well as they did. At least I didn't. I was blown away by it. And to get the goal. Jakob Silverberg with, I mean, what was like a 60-foot shot just inside the blue line, just fools Martin Jones. First shot on goal, 40 seconds in, all of a sudden it's one nothing Anaheim as he was in alone, one on three. Yeah, I, I thought that hit something originally when it went in, but I, I you know looking at it again, I think it just ends up fooling him. I think he was a little bit surprised with how quick Silverberg got the shot off, and we're used to that from him. I mean, he has an underrated release, really quick release. And it uh, just surprises him to, to shoot it from the top of the blue line and, and gets a pass. And the Ducks started very well. I mean, with that goal, even before that and, and just after that, too, they, they were starting strong. A lot of energy, what we expected of them after a disappointing game one. Obviously, it didn't uh, continue throughout the entire first period, but that's how you want them to start. And, and honestly, that's how they're going to need to start and continue that momentum when they go into game three as well, because it, it was a good start. And getting that goal, as lucky as it was, was important to, to the Ducks starting this game. Yeah, and the, the success, the momentum part of it anyway, would continue with just massive hits. Richie with a big hit on Paul Martin. Lindholm drops Kane open ice. And then Boschman with the hit of the series just absolutely levels LeBanc. Wow, that was a hell of a hit. Um, if that didn't get you off your feet and, and bring back old memories of Boschman lining people up, I mean, I don't know what's going to do it for you there, but I mean, those are some there's some vicious hits by the Ducks, and that's that's the kind of hockey we expected to be played. Yeah, uh, I mean, they came out uh, mad, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, I mean, the Richie hit was pretty big. Lindholm's hit was uh, was really big, and he ended up uh, hurting Kane. I can't, Kane was bleeding on the bench. He was a little bit upset, but it was a it was his stick. I think that hit him in the own face. And then Boschman's hit was just massive. I mean, some Sharks fans were complaining that it was a. Uh, a dirty hit. I, I don't know how they could, you would see that. I mean, he does kind of hit him in the numbers a bit, but it's far from dirty. Just a massive hit. Like you said, we, we don't really see that from Boschman anymore. So it brought back some good memories to see not just him, but everybody getting involved physically in the in the early parts of this game. 
And unfortunately, that's after those three hits, the, the play would kind of go back and forth. And then the Sharks would find themselves tying the game up. Bieksa with a turnover. Dylan from the point throws it at the net. It goes off the inboards, the lively inboards, as John Allers and Brian Hayward always like to remind everybody watching Prime Ticket. Goes wide on Gibby one way, pops out on the other side. Just unfortunate, but Sorensen was there to bury it. All of a sudden, it's 1 1. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I didn't really notice the boards that much during the regular season. It feels like they've stood out a lot more in these first two games of the playoffs. I mean, it's somebody's put some corks or something in the boards because everything seems to be flying off them. And this one, uh, nobody really picks up Sorensen down below, but I guess. You don't really expect it to have that kind of bounce off the boards, and he's just wide open. Again, you can't really blame Gibson on this, and that's all uh, all four goals up until this point that he's kind of been unlucky on. I mean, the, we talked about the other ones in game one where they necessarily weren't his fault. This one you can't blame him either because nobody's reading that play off the boards other than really Sorensen, who finds himself in the right spot uh, to bury it and make it one-to-one. <coughs> Excuse me, I had a cough. Yeah. Nothing you could do on that play. Sorensen in all alone there. But I was impressed with the Ducks' resilience. They came out next shift and started dominating. And Kasha ends up getting a great turnaround shot chance. And I feel like they were able to get pressure on there. And then is when we get the, uh, the the penalty that everyone's upset about. Montour caught a little flat-footed just inside his own zone. Reaches out with a kind of a free hand. Grabs a shark player. I don't remember who it was. All of a sudden, he goes to the box. That spells trouble. Because Couture is on a 2-1-1 with LeBanc. And, or LeBanc, and LeBanc, with a hell of a pass, goes through Hampus Lennon, who's down to block the pass, and then Couture and alone on Gibby. He was very reminiscent of Vander Kane's second goal from game game one, walks in all alone, deeks him and buries it, and now the Sharks have a 2-1 lead in, in the first period. Yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty much what I was going to say, too, is it, it was almost identical to Kane's goal in game one, and uh, I mean, not much Gibby can do on that one. I, I feel like he overplays it just slightly. Uh, you know, Kudra doesn't make too much of a fake. He kind of, you kind of can see that he was going to go backhand no matter what. Uh, but, uh, I mean, you can't blame him again because it is on a breakaway. Ducks really couldn't backcheck fast enough. Great pass from LeBanc. And, you know, from what was a, a good Ducks start to the game, and even after the, the first Sharks goal, they got back into it. I mean, they end up going out of this first period down 2-1, to one, and I, I felt like they deserved better. I mean, they, they didn't capitalize on their chances at times, but they had a lot of energy in this first period, something we didn't mm. see last game, and somehow mm-hmm. they still come out down 2-1. to one. Yeah, so then that period ended up being over at that point. Really, Henrique with another chance, but the Sharks would take that lead 2-1, to one. At the end of the first, how did you feel overall about that first period? I felt like it was I know a, you said you felt like yeah. they should have been like a better opportunities for them to bury it, maybe. But I felt like you know you can't you can't leave it in the arms of the ref. You got to yeah. make your chances count. You got to bury your chances at that point. And although they might have been a little unlucky, I really feel like they just I don't know. That's, that's that finishing ability they were lacking. Yeah, and that's been noticeable in the first two games of the series. I know it's a small sample size, but we've kind of seen that so far. I mean, the the one that stands in my mind from game one is, Ke- is Kessel hitting the post wide open in the slot. There's a play very similar to that from Corey Perry in this game later on where in the second period where he does the exact same thing. And those are, those are plays you have to cash in on. The Ducks didn't really have too many of those in the first period, 
But, uh, I mean, after the first, it was all talk about the refs. That was it. It wasn't talk about how the Ducks played, uh, how they came out with energy, how they kind of shot themselves in the foot with both of these goals by the Sharks. It was all talk about Montour not getting the... Uh, or sorry, Montour getting the kind of ghost penalty, as, what, as it was being called, and then obviously the Kasha uh, tripping penalty not being called. That was what dominated the headlines, which is unfortunate because... You know, it, it kind of masks any issues the Ducks had in the first period. Yeah, look, according to Natural Statric, chances were even. Shots yeah. were the the uh, the Ducks had one more shot than the Sharks, seven and six, right? A five on five chances, and that's that's what they're playing the majority of the game. So you get rid of that power play goal and that soft call, it's a one one game. So yeah, I mean, absolutely, that was the best the Ducks had to throw out, throw out there, and they gave themselves an opportunity, but came up short. Going into the second period, though, just. Uh, <clears throat> just an unfortunate play. <laughs> the Sharks are able to get on the board early. Hurdle ends up dangling, puts the puck on a backhand while being checked. And I almost felt like Giddy was soft on this play, but at the same time, I mean, Hurdle with a hell of a shot, and he ends up making a 3-1. Yeah, I mean, it's a great individual effort from Hurdle to get in and, and actually make that play because he, he ends up beating, I think, two or three Ducks players to get in alone. He he victimizes Montour, who I, I mean, sort of does his best a bit after getting beat to try and get back and and stop Hurdle from scoring. And then he I guess he just fools Gibson on this play because he throws it back against the grain, which is difficult because Gibson is reading the play as if Montour is going to push him to the side. Which fair enough. I, I mean, it's a little bit. You can put this a little bit on Gibson's shoulders, but again, it's such a tough call to make because I, I feel like you don't expect Hurdle's going to be able to throw that back to the other side because it's such a soft shot. I mean, he just floats it back to the, the left side of the net, and Gibson had no chance on that one. And, and it's disappointing because it was so early on in the third period or in the second period, you're hoping that the Ducks could come off down 2 1 and, and rebound. And this is just, uh, I mean, this is just a dagger at that point. You're, you're saying, All right, now you're down 3 to 1. Things aren't looking good. The Sharks have some energy going in early in the second period. And that was one of the comments I wrote in uh, on our notes here in the second period is, where is the Ducks' big guns? I feel like they're not getting the grade-A opportunities we're used to seeing. I mean, other than Perry's off the post, yeah. um, you don't really see the the line rushes coming in and them getting a, just a great chance in on Jones. Jones has had to be good at times, but I felt like he hasn't had to be insanely good in this series so far. Is that the same vibe you're getting? I especially felt that way. I mean, obviously the Ducks would turn things around a bit here, but just so far that at this point, it's like, where's our top guys? Get, you know, able to put the shots on that and bury some chances. Yeah, and the, you know that that's all true. And one thing that uh, you know, I don't know if it's just the Sharks playing well, or the Ducks playing bad, but one thing I noticed was the Sharks had an easy time setting up in the Ducks zone. There wasn't a lot of pressure. I mean, the Ducks were just sitting back and allowing San Jose to set up five on five in the offensive zone. Uh, there was no pressure in the puck. Any attempt to clear it, there was never a real you know, hustle to get it out of the zone. Bieksa was at fault for that m- multiple times where he just kind of threw it to wherever softly and didn't really pay attention to where it was going to. <clears throat> and I think that's, uh, that's something that we haven't seen from the Ducks. I mean, usually they're pretty good in getting the puck out, and a lot of that's on Cam Fowler because he's the, one of the, the best, if not the best, defenseman of the Ducks for exiting the zone. So they're missing him a bit there for that. But uh, that's something I think they need to look at as well because they, they didn't get a lot of sustained zone pressure themselves. And then when San Jose came back and, and attempted the other way, they were really lackadaisical and, and they just let them 
set up more often than they should. And the Sharks tend to get a lot of chances from the high slot. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I felt like, too. You throwing a stat to me in Twitter, and it was just so true. You, and you could see that by watching the game. The, the Sharks end up getting a lot of chances from the slot, which is a prime scoring area. The yeah. Ducks like to do the pass. They like to go wide and cut back and throw to the point. And I feel like by the time they cut back and throw to the point to the fourth guy coming in on the rush, there's, like, already five guys in the slot all lining up. Everyone's trying to block shots. Ducks are trying to screen the goalie. And it just doesn't get through, or Jones is able to see it somehow and make the save. But more often than not, it's just not getting through to the net. Um, I wonder if maybe there's an offensive changeup they're going to have to try to throw in here to, to make things happen because doing the same thing over and over again and not getting results is you know the definition of insanity. And I feel like the Ducks just getting so many shots blocked, they got to find a way to break through the Sharks' defense. Yeah, and there's something – I mean, a lot of things have to change and get tweaked before Game 3 – this was by far a better game than game one, and there's a lot of things that went right for Anaheim in this game. But even looking at the, the goal by Lindholm here on the power play, I mean, he, it was a great pass, and he was wide open in the slot, but I feel like this goes in because I believe it's Brendan Dillon ends up running into Martin Jones, and he can't yeah, he make the save. <laughs> yeah, he, he can't make the save, and it's not to say that he would have made the save anyway if he was able to be in position for that, but you never know. And so far, both Ducks' goals have been suspect. I mean, the first one, Martin Jones was caught sleeping, and it wasn't really, you know, you can't credit the Ducks with good play on that first goal. And even on this one, I mean, the, the power play was sloppy up until this point, and it's it's almost a lucky break from uh, Dylan running into Martin Jones for that to hit the back of the net. So, Although the, Lindy uh, did put it in the top corner. Yes, that was a pretty yeah. shot. So, so I mean, it still could have gone in. Yeah, it still could have <laughs> gone in, but it, it doesn't look great that the power play was, was awful up until that point. And then Martin Jones is just laying on the ice before the time the puck goes into the net, right? So the offense needs to get something going because they had their chances, but you know the the good chances they had, they either missed the net, and one that we'll get to later is Montour on the two on one misses the net, or or the one right after this where Perry hits the post. So they haven't been able to I cash know. in on their high quality opportunities. No, you're right. So basically, what you're saying is these goals are kind of fluky. Yeah. I mean, fluky things happened, and they were able to cash in on, which is strange. Considering they can't cash in on plays where Montour is able to set up Perry on a pretty move, and Perry hits the post, or like you said, they're not getting in on their prime chances. They got some fluky shots. Um, the rest of this period would kind of play out where Gibby had to make a couple of great stops on uh, Tomas Hurdle and Joe Pavelski, two on one ask, and then Pavelski's again from the high slot, nice one timer from the from the high slot. Gibby able to make the save there. Um, they close out the second period, three to two Sharks. Better feelings. I felt good going into the third period at this point. I was like, look, all you got to do is stay out of the box, keep up some pressure, and don't make Gibby have to stand on his head, and then you have a chance. I mean, it never concerns me when there's like 10 minutes left, even five minutes left. I started to get maybe get a little worried the Ducks won't tie it up because that's a lot of time when you're trying to get one goal and you could pull your goaltender and create havoc in the offensive zone. Yeah. So I felt good going into this, but I mean, the way this third period kind of shake out, Kane gets some chances in on Gibby early. Gibby stays strong to start the third period. Montour with just an awful turnover, and he was all over the ice tonight, Montour. Gives it up mm-hmm. to Eric Fair. Fair puts it in on Gibby. Gibby makes the save. How did you feel about Montour tonight? I felt like there was a lot of good and a lot of bad, just to yeah. talk about him for a second. like He yeah. was involved everywhere on the ice, but it wasn't always great. There was no in-between. It was either he did something really good or he did something really bad, it seemed like. I mean, he was involved in the two-on-one, which is a little mix of both, where 
you know, he get, it was, did good to pinch up and get involved in that, but then he ends up missing the net. And then, like you had just said, the, this was just one of the worst t- turnovers I've seen from the Ducks all season, other than the BX at Dylan Larkin. Oh, you had to say Detroit it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this was bad. I mean, luckily it was it was Eric Fair that ends up picking up the puck. I mean, if that's Pavelski, Evander Kane, Logan Couture, that could be in the back of the net. Uh, and it got pretty close anyway. I mean, Gibson, in the final seconds or final minutes of the second period and early on in the third, uh, six, seven straight highlight reel saves that he has to make to keep the Ducks in this game. I mean, it's unbelievable because right, even right after this one, you've got Gibson robbing Tierney on the best save of the series. I mean, he throws a stick on the ice and gets over with his blocker and, and makes an unbelievable save. He's showing that he can stay on his head and back this team to a win, but the, the offense isn't supporting him. And, and Montour is kind of at the forefront of that because... You know, he, he's doing some good things, but then he's at the uh, the bad end. And, and usually when he's on the bad end of some things, it, it's really bad. Yeah. I mean, and you don't get a lot of chances in this third period for the Ducks. They had a great power play opportunity where they just couldn't cash in in front of the net. I felt like they got a lot of puck movement there. And this was right after Tierney was, uh, was robbed by Gibson, as you said, where Gibby had to stand on his head and make some great saves. And... Here's the dumb penalty number one. Sorensen flying up to the neutral zone. Nick Ritchie sticks his stick out. How much more obvious can you make it? Like, I know what he's doing, but how much more obvious can you make that happen? It's a trip, but it's a bit of a. Yeah. It's a trip, but it's a bit of a. a, Like, he just flew uh, off the ice. (laughs) I mean, he was was flying a bit to get. He bounced it off the boards to get by Ritchie, but. I mean, he sells it a bit, but it is a call. I'm not saying it's it's a bad call or anything like that. You're going to call that 100% of the time. And he just he's he made sure that he sold that to get that call. <laughs> like oh, of he, course, yeah. He let all yeah. his feet come up like Superman yeah. down down the neutral zone for sure. But, I mean, so the Ducks end up taking the penalty there. And then Montours, we just talked about with Henrique, elects to shoot the puck, which was great. If you hit the net, goes wide, comes back out. Just... Just not the, not the way we wanted to see things going. And then we get the worst penalty of the night with about three and change to go. Corey Perry would just absolutely blow up Melker Carlson along the boards. And he gets a two-minute interference call. I mean, Carlson did not expect this hit. He's facing the boards. Doesn't have the puck, to my knowledge. I didn't see the puck touch him. Mm-hmm. His helmet went like 15 feet into the <laughs> corner with how hard he got hit by Corey Perry on this play. Yeah, it's it's a weird play because when I first saw it, I was like, "That's he's getting a suspension." I mean, there, there's no doubt in my mind. And they, everybody had thought it was a headshot because of how far that helmet flew, flew right into the corner. I mean, I, I thought it was a headshot at first. When you look at it again, you know, he doesn't really hit him from behind. He hits him in the shoulder. Doesn't hit him in the head. I think the the head snap almost from hitting him in the shoulder and just being unsuccessful. Oh, he was totally unprepared. Yeah, yeah is what throws the helmet off, and, and the helmet flying off is what makes it look so bad. I mean, the hit is big, but the helmet flying off makes it look that much worse. Um, you know, he wasn't really touching the puck. He, he had a stick in there, so he was involved in the play. It's still interference. It, it, it is still interference because he doesn't have control of the puck. But he is involved in the play. It's not a headshot. Uh, it's slightly dirty because you don't need to make that play. You don't need to hit him. You can just go in and join the scrum on the boards. And the Ducks were playing on the line all game. And they crossed it here. And I don't think Perry's going to get any discipline from this, any any you know suspension or whatnot. People are saying he might, but you, you look no, at this play. No, he's good. 
Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it would be really harsh to give him a one-game suspension, I believe, based off that hit, because it was slightly dirty, but we see hits like that all the time. But again, I mean, uh, the Doughty the hit in the game against L.A., it was was kind of similar in a way, not like in the style of hit, but how it was kind of borderline, and I feel like they could lean towards that and all the suspension we've already seen so far in the playoffs. If he gets one game, I'd be surprised, but it's possible. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, McNabb totally elbowed and decked Kopitar yeah. last game, and they didn't call anything there. There's no supplemental discipline. So they're letting a lot go, but they are calling things. This wasn't like a Nazem Kadri hit yeah. that he had, which was just ugly and brutal and deserved the three games that he got, which is crazy. I mean, getting a three-game suspension is nearly unheard of in the playoffs if you do something egregious. But <clears throat> I think Perry's fine. Sorry, guys, anyone listening. I keep having to clear my throat, so if you keep hearing that, I apologize. Like I don't know what it is. I maybe I'm getting sick, like Eddie. I got to keep drinking water here, so I'm not coughing. But I uh, apologize for that. So the Ducks end up pulling John Gibson. Perry has all day around Jones and is not able to get a prime shot on that. He kind of circles out to better his chances through coverage, and Jones is there to make the save. I feel like this is one of those things we we talked about a few minutes ago, where they just they're getting chances. And, you know, they killed Perry's penalty. He comes out and he has, you figure this is his chance. He's all alone on the side of the net, but uh, unable to convert. Yeah, and I don't want to discredit Jones because I felt like he made a couple good saves in this game. But this was the same thing in game one where the Ducks were just shooting pucks right at him. I mean, they had quality chances. They either missed, hit the post, or they shot it right into him. And this was the same on this play. I mean, Perry has all day, like you said, he takes it from behind the net. He has all, all the whole net to shoot at. And he shoots it right into Jones. And I get it's difficult. And you've got a lot of guys around you. And it's tough to, to pick that corner. But he's a guy we're paying to pick that corner. Uh, and he shoots it right into the chest. I mean, it, it doesn't get much easier than that for Martin Jones. And you've got to make something with that play. And you know, while we're on the topic uh, of not cashing in on your chances, there's a couple times where I felt like the Ducks were overpassing in this game as well. Uh, I don't know if it was on the power play. But I remember one chance where Get- Getzloff gets the puck on a great pass across crease. And uh, he just he doesn't one time he takes it and then he sits there for about ten seconds looks for a pass uh, and it gets uh, blocked and cleared out of the zone. I, I oh, mean, he just held it. Yeah, yeah, he held it above the circle. I remember seeing that too. Yeah. We've talked about this <clears throat> endless amount of times with Ryan Getzlaff. Is when he's in those opportunities, he has to shoot the puck. I mean, just wire it. Just why why hold it and look for the perfect pass in that point? I mean, you're in prime shooting position. Jones is struggling to get over to the other side, and it's not a wide open net. But we all know Getzlaff can shoot the puck. Uh, he's got to wire those chances when he gets them. But uh, more often than not, 90% of the time, he takes, he receives the pass and then looks to make the, the next pass after that. And, and a lot of times it gets blocked. I mean, he has the ability to find guys, but he's got to shoot the puck more when he has those chances. He does. That's been a knock on his game since he's come into the league. Um, but he's also addressed it and said that he's just not, he's just not a shoot-first guy. Yeah. He's always said, I'm always going to look for the pass. It's always what I've done. It's always what I'm going to do. Uh, and unfortunately, that would uh, not bode well for Anaheim tonight as they fall to the Sharks 3-2, to and now they're 0-2 in the series. That's kind of how, I don't know, that's kind of how this game was shaping up to be when they're not able to put in the chances, when they're getting grade A, grade a opportunities. I mean, I, I kind of felt like at the end of this game with Perry taking that penalty, that, that was kind of all she wrote unless they pulled off a miracle there at the end. And unfortunately, they weren't able to. The Ducks are going to have a tough road ahead, but we got some post-game chat to talk, to talk about before we get to you guys' questions. 
The big one being Walensky sits, in comes Bieksa. Bieksa had a terrible game. Um, I really feel like <laughs> Bieksa and Walensky were interchangeable at this point with how bad they played. Yeah, not holding back. I mean, he he was not good tonight. And, and I guess, I mean, we didn't expect it. It was funny because we were all kind of optimistic, I think, for the first time this year about Kevin Bieksa getting back in the lineup because of how bad Patterson and Walensky played in game one. Uh, and he comes in and he does what he always does. He doesn't really have that great of a game. Uh, has struggles in his own end. I mean, he didn't stick out with any horrible turnovers in this game, but he just played a bad game all around. So I don't know what they're going to do for game two. Or game three, I mean. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I feel like Kevin BX probably just gets back in the lineup no matter what because he's healthy. I doubt they, they sit him out because right now I'm, I'm not sure there's much of an advantage of having Walensky or BX in the lineup. They're, they're pretty much going to offer you the same thing. So, you know, Walensky had a bad game one. BX has had a bad game two. You know, unless Fowler's ready to go, which we, we all know he's probably not. And there's nobody else you can bring up and play. I mean, we have a question about the goals because they lost tonight, and some of the guys may be coming up from there, so we can get to that later. But that's the only thing I, I can see really taking BX out of the lineup at this point. I would I would assume he's on the roster and playing uh, for Game 3 in San Jose. I mean, look, the, uh, the Ducks had a pair of defensemen on the ice for zero scoring chances for, and it was it was Pedersen and Bieksa. They were not out there for a single scoring chance for for the Ducks. They were com- a combined minus 14 in that stat category, meaning the opposition, the Sharks, had 14 chances when they were on the ice compared to zero. So they do nothing to stimulate this team's offense, and that's a good chunk of time. They're playing almost 13 minutes, or Bieksa played 13 minutes combined, and Pedersen played 12.43, so right around the same amount of minutes. It's unfortunate. <clears throat> But I don't think that BX is an answer, and and I don't know who else they're going to call up. If you want to hop on that question right now, that's a good time to do it. I think we can get to the yeah. BX uh, who's interchangeable with. They're obviously not going to put Lewinsky or Wilinski in. Um, we know they're not going to call up Jacob Larson because they haven't done it all year. And I mean, so who are you looking to? Do you need to bring another defenseman up, or do you really got to try to uh, a way to spark this offense? I don't know. I mean, we'll get to the question now because Derek says, since the goals lost tonight, so if you didn't know, uh, the San Jose Barracuda won their game, and I believe San Diego had to win to get into the playoffs. They ended up losing 6-3 to Tucson, which means they're out and the, the Barracuda are in. Of course, um, another another link to the Sharks and Ducks with both their minor league teams battling it out for playoff spots. So now all those guys down in San Diego are available to be call-ups for the Ducks. I mean, they already were, but now there's going to be no playoff run for San Diego. Uh, we could see them getting called up, but I, I just don't see I mean, why would you throw those kids into a fire in Game 3? <laughs> Where you need to... you need to, I mean, th- this game was a must-win. Game 3 is even more of a must-win because going down 0-3, uh, it's pretty much a death sentence at that point. What, it's only been, what, four or five teams ever to come back from down 0-3. So... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would like to see Jakob Larson get called up. You know, maybe Jacob Magnet gets called up. But in Game 3 in a playoff series against the San Jose Sharks, I just don't see it happening. Uh, I feel like nobody at this point takes BX out of the lineup because he's healthy. Unless, of course, he still has issues. And then if he does, I would assume Walensky probably just comes back in because he's already gotten a taste of, of playoff <laughs> hockey. And I just don't see them throwing a kid in. Unless they go down 0-3, maybe they, they try some things. You know, they, they throw in 
maybe Miller, but I don't, I, at this point I don't see why you would do that because Gibbs has played well, or maybe they throw in Trey Terry, or maybe they bring up a defenseman and throw him in. But I, I feel like that only happens if the Ducks do go down 0-3, which of course we don't want to happen. But I feel like as of Game 3, we probably see the same lineup we saw tonight. Yeah, and on the goaltending front, though, I know you mentioned Miller for just a second, but, I mean, show me a soft goal that Gibson's given up in the playoffs. I, I don't really see one. I mean, if I know that I said yeah. it would look kind of maybe the one that uh, that was lofted on him on the backhand. I believe it was Hurdle with that one, maybe. But he's already moving left to right, moving right to left. That's hard to pump back and then get enough on on your edges to come back and make a block or save like that. And I mean, Hurdle's a talented player. I mean, he can make that shot and he made it happen. So other than that, though, I mean, what are we looking at here? I mean, a five on three, Evander Kane walking in all alone. Couture walking in all alone. Um, a point shot from Burns that nobody saw even had a chance going in other than Burns because he's able to make those happen. I don't think it's Gibby. I've, I've heard people trash Gibby today when I was hanging out um, with some Duck, fellow Ducks fans saying, why, we, why would we put Gibby in? Why wouldn't we put Miller in? Miller's, he's a seasoned veteran. Why isn't Miller in there? Maybe it's time to pull Gibby out. I'm like, what are you talking about? This yeah. team can't score in front of him. I mean, the, I, whatever you want to say about John Gibson, but the Ducks aren't scoring. Yeah. Uh, at least in game one. In game two, they get two fluky goals. But when it comes to defense, I mean, shoot, you're kind of stuck with what we have. Uh, and until Cam Fowler comes back, if they're able to hold on long enough, that's the only way that you're going to see another player come out of the lineup in favor of him. Yeah. And what used to be a position of strength for the Ducks is now a position of weakness. And uh, and the place where it really matters in the Stanley Cup playoffs, where you know we used to have an abundance of defensemen back there with Montour, Theodore, Vatnin. And, you know, I, I still don't think the Henrik Favotin trade was bad. I, I think that trade gets made 100% of the time, and, and Henrik has been a, a great addition to this lineup. But now with Cam Fowler out of the lineup, it exposes all those holes because, you know, Francois Boschman is not a second-pair guy. And Walensky and Pedersen are guys you don't really want to have on your third pairing in the playoffs, but there's really no working around it. And a lot of that is just on... Um, I think roster composition for the Ducks a bit because that bottom pairing has been like that since the beginning of the season and they thought they could roll with BX and Boschman and other, among others to carry the load on that bottom pairing and it's never been good and I don't know what they do in the offseason you know they, they have guys like Patterson and Walensky, Magda, Larson all those guys they can look at for the beginning of next season but you know, this is something that should have been addressed in free agency last year bringing in some guys who are a little bit younger and, and that could have been serviceable on the bottom pairing and even at the deadline. I mean, we talked about a guy that I really wanted to see come over was Ian Cole, who's now in Columbus. They only cost a second-round pick, I believe, for him or a third-round pick. I feel like he would have been a, a good option for the Ducks on the third pairing among a lot of other guys who had dealt on trade deadline day as well. So some missed opportunities there for the Ducks to, to really fix this problem and, and not really looking forward to see what they would do if one of their guys was out of the lineup i got to add one thing before we continue here. You've got literally everybody in the chat calling Chris Kelly Captain Canada now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Drew, was, Drew said Randy would probably add Captain Canada or Chimera over Troy Terry. And I just had to uh, cringe a bit because now he's literally referred to as Captain Canada. And I have to read that every time we talk about him. So. <laughs> I do what I can for you. I, do, I know that he is a beloved player for your country. And, uh, you know, he, he did well. He had a goal, I think. I think he did. I think he scored one of the few goals for Canada in the uh, Olympics that nobody watched. At least <laughs> yeah. the men's Olympics that nobody watched. 
Um, yeah, I mean, we're stuck with what we got. Yeah. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, we could be worse. I mean, I don't know if you saw Sammy Votten and uh, absolutely deking uh, Kincaid out of his jock and scoring on his own goalie today against Tampa. But that was funny to watch. Yeah, and Votnin <laughs> scored on his own net. So yeah, when he scored on his own net, he totally deked Kincaid yeah. and put it in, put it behind him on accident. It was funny to watch. Poor guy. Um, he made up for it. He scored a goal after that too. So hey. oh, wasn't Taylor Hall? Taylor Hall didn't score all the goals. No, he had no points yeah. today, and of course, the Tampa Bay, or sorry, New Jersey lost. So yeah, well. again, I'm a bit off track, but uh, <laughs> two teams got hammered today: New Tampa Bay hammered New Jersey, and Boston absolutely dismantled Toronto. Pasternak had six points. You know, we're talking about the Ducks' offense and the big guys not getting anything going. Boston's top line has 20 points in two games. So, That's insane. So they're they're getting things going, and, and I mean, they just dominated the Leafs today. And um, I honestly expected the Leafs to put up more of a fight, but that series has just been a gong show since it started. And Boston's top line has proven why they're the best line in hockey this year. It's just, it's fun to watch. I mean, I don't like the Bruins by any means, but that line is just something else. I'm sure all of your uh, your native uh, Toronto got uh, fans around there are not too happy about what's going on because they're just imploding. Oh, I love it. But... I love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's break down some issues with the Ducks play, then we'll get to our questions. Um, what do you look at when you see this team that that just absolutely needs to be improved upon uh, before we get into Game Three? It's tough because you can't really. I mean, you can say the offense needs to be improved upon, but how are they going to do it? Uh, I mean, it's been sort of the same for both games. We talked about how yes, they scored two goals in this game, but they weren't goals you really want to talk about. They weren't. Highlight real goals. They weren't goals you can praise the Ducks' offense for. The one was a 60-foot shot from the blue line, and the other one was a goal that might have gone in no matter what, but it goes in because Brandon Dillon runs into Martin Jones, and, and then the chances they had after that, they hit the post. So I don't know. I feel like adding a, a guy like Troy Terry in the lineup gives you a little bit more skill, and, and maybe that could help. I feel like shuffling the lines, even though they did that in this game, they had Kasha with Raquel and Getzlaff, and they had Perry with... Uh, was it Henrique and Richie on the third line? So they switched things up a bit. There's really not much else you can do because I don't think they're going to switch up Kessler, Cargillano, and Silverberg. So on the offense side, you really can't do much. And then again, on the defensive side, just you're kind of stuck with what you got. I mean, it's hard to it's hard for the Ducks to make a lot of changes. They they're kind of stuck with what they have, and they can't you know they haven't shown willingness to really switch up the lineup that much because that line with Kessler is always going to be together. And Getzloff and Raquel are staples on that first line. Um, I, I think checking your discipline a bit, but they actually did a, a decent job at times in this game other than the bad penalty by Richie and Perry. So for the most part, for the majority of the game until where it really counted, they checked their discipline until the final bit of the game. I, I don't know, honestly. I, I mean, I'd like to hear your opinion too, but I, I don't know really what they can bury down and work on. Like if they're going to go into practice and say, what are we going to work on? I don't know, because they've had these issues all year. They've had issues with depth scoring at times. They've had issues on the power play. They've had issues with discipline, and they haven't fixed it up until this point. I mean, what what's going to change in a day that they're going to change it and fix it? Less passing, more shooting. Yeah. That's I kind of feel like they wait a little too long to shoot the puck, even on a rush. Um, they always like to do the cutback play, which I feel like every team knows they do now. They come in along the boards, cut back, look for the, look for the trailing guy to come in. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I mean, obviously I'm not an NHL offensive coordinator <laughs> or coach, <laughs> so there's a reason for that. But just from what I see from the eye test, 
I just I feel like they, they they come in with speed, which is great, and they always have a guy that's on them, a checker on them, and they cut back and center the puck, and then the the slot's clogged. I don't yeah. know what it is. I don't know what else they need to do other than find a way to break through that Sharks defense and able to get the rebound chances. Jones has not had to scramble much. Yeah, for me, you got to get Jones moving. He's a good goalie. He had a, a he had a really crummy year this year, but his playoff numbers are out, are outstanding. And he hasn't had to be great. Like no, Gibson's had to be great, great in front of him. I mean, they've they've limited any quality chances that the Ducks have got for the most part. And then the ones they have, we already talked about. They hit the post or miss the net. So Jones hasn't had to do much. And Connor brings up in the chat. And this is this is pretty funny. But he says we were talking about what the Ducks could change. He says sounds like a coaching problem. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> you got to you got to agree with him because. You know, nothing's been changed all year because they can't change it because this is this is how this team's coached. This is the way they set up. This is their system. You know, their offense is going to be the same with Randy Carlo. Their, their defense is, it's hard to say it's going to be the same because with Cam Fowler in, it's a lot better. But, you know, the way they set up, the way they play is pretty much going to be the same. And it's not going to change. You know, Randy Carlo is not going to wake up and say, oh, i got to completely change this. And it's going to be a completely different team coming out in Game 3. You know, it's going to be relatively the same. I think they played a good game here. If they can tweak a bit of a bit of things, like you said, shoot the puck more and just capitalize on your chances, then, you know, th- this could be a, a different series. I feel like they're close. You know, this game showed they were close to the Sharks. A couple mistakes here and there, a couple bad calls that went their way, and, and, and this game could have been a win and the series would have tied at one. So it was close, but there's a, a couple things they got to work on. Well, you sent me a stat uh, in in Twitter from the point, which is uh, at PNT Hockey on Twitter, and they do stats. They put up random stats. I noticed I've never seen this before, but the Sharks had twenty four shots from the slot compared mm-hmm. to the Ducks fifteen. That's very indicative as to how the Sharks are attacking and how the Ducks are attacking. Yeah. I don't know what it is about Anaheim, but they need to figure out a way to get their shots in from the slot because that's prime. And they're, the fact they're giving up just way more to the opposition is just really concerning to me. And they're not getting enough blocks, and Gibby's had to make some crazy saves. So, I mean, the only other thing that I can say about this team is stay out of the box with the dumb penalties and in, <laughs> enable yourself to get some chances on the rush or the slot because that's the only way you're going to beat Martin Jones. And I know that they got Brent Burns, Norris winning trophy defenseman who's outstanding, which, I mean, you don't want to discredit him. He has a lot to do with how the Sharks team's playing. But you got to find a way to beat him. The Sharks team is not that much better than Anaheim. They're Like you said, they're close. Everyone had this series about 50-50, and there's a reason for it. The Ducks just aren't converting. Yeah, and the Sharks are doing a great job defensively pushing the Ducks to the outside. That's why the shot slots are so low for the Ducks. They can't get anything going, and the few they have... And the, the ones we keep going back to are the Kessler chance from game one and the Perry chance from game two. The ones where they hit the post. I mean, they were a wide open alone. You've got to bury those chances because they're not going to get a lot of slot chances. That's not going to really change. I mean, unless the Ducks can figure out how to get around this system for the Sharks, I mean, they're going to get a lot of chances from the outside. And when they do get those odd slot chances, they're going to have to make them pay. And they haven't done it. And... I, I don't know. I mean, the Sharks, i, I got to give a lot of credit to the way they've played because they came prepared for this series. They knew exactly their game plan against the Ducks, and they've executed it 100%. I mean, it's been a great effort for them, and the Ducks haven't been able to deal with it. You know, they came in, I think, thinking that, oh, we had won our last five games in a row. 
we don't really have to, I mean, I don't know, but it, it just seemed like they, they really didn't feel like they had to change anything coming into this series. You know, they hadn't played the Sharks since February. They really, really seen that the Sharks were slumping a bit, and the Sharks came into this this series a more prepared team, and it showed because they're, they're coming away, going back home with a 2 nothing series lead. Yeah, we'll have to find out how that Game 3 starts off here coming up on Monday. Now let's get to the questions here. Where do you want to start? you want to start in the chat? Is there anybody in there that's asking, or you want to go to what we've had on Twitter? Uh, we'll go with uh, with the chat, and then we'll hit Twitter, and then we got one on Reddit like 10 minutes ago. So uh, Connor asked us early on. He said he has a question for us. How truly hard is it to be a general manager? Uh, he said there's only a handful of good GMs in the league. So how how hard it is, is it to be a GM in general and then to be a, a good general manager? Well, I appreciate that because, as you know, um, I think being a GM is probably – I don't know. I feel like they all make a lot of really dumb decisions. So <laughs> I feel like it's easier to be a GM than what's led on to be believed. Yeah. It's an old boys club, though. They all know each other. They're all buddies. Um, yeah. They John all do Chaka. the favorable deals. Yeah, except for John Shaker, the, the kid uh, who's like my age. He's like either late 20s, early 30s. But, I mean, how does Bergevin still yeah. have a job or in Peter Montreal? Shirelli. How does Peter? How does Peter Shirelli still have a job? Is Jim Benning. Jim Benning. Oh, Jim Benning got an extension too. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. Uh, so yeah, I have a feeling that it's not the hardest job to have. But then again, I don't know. But yeah, I get where his sentiment's coming from. I should ask Bob Murray when I ran into him on Thursday at Starbucks. I should have asked him. Should have asked him, but I didn't. <laughs> how hard is your job? Think I could do that? I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I mean, really, Bob's done a good job for the Ducks. Yeah. I feel like I don't want to bash him on that. He's he's not made the trigger happy, you know, trades that I really wish that he would have. You know, bringing in an offensive player like a, an Evander Kane, but you got to commend the guy with his with his defensive uh, core development and goaltending development. I mean, really. And we have some young forwards coming up that we need to figure out and what they're going to be with uh, Sam Steele and Max Jones. But uh, Bob Murray, I don't have a lot of bad things to say about him other than his coaching decision. Um, I felt like there was probably a better coaching option other than Randy Carlisle, but uh, we'll see where we go from here. If this is an early exit, I mean, maybe Carlisle gets another season, and if there's another early exit, then we're talking about a new coach. We've talked about this before, and I think we, no matter what, I think Carlisle's safe next year just based off the comments from Murray near the trade deadline. I feel like he thinks yep. this team is a better team no matter what. I'm sure he's probably surprised they made the playoffs and the push that they did. And and all that just proves that, that he believes this team is going to be better next year. And, I mean, they very well could. I mean, if they're healthy all year, they probably would have coasted into the playoffs and instead of making it uh, in with only about three games to go. But I, I'm sure, I, I mean, it, we don't know. I mean, the only GM I've ever been is on, on EA Sports. So I, I, I don't have any experience on how hard it is to be a GM, but I'm, I'm sure it's difficult. I mean, he, he catches all the praise and he catches all the flack as well. And, and a lot of time it's it's the flack, and especially lately about him not getting anybody at the deadline. But you look at the Ducks' drafting history, which always gets overlooked. The guys they've been able to find, Andre Kasha, Josh Manson. Of course, that's not all credit to him. That's on the scouting staff as well, but he's a big part of that. So, uh, I mean, it, it's hard. And, and there there is, I mean, I, I agree with Connor. There's only a certain handful of good GMs in the league. I think Eiserman is one of the best. I think Bob Murray is up there, honestly. With one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, Poyle as well. So there there are some very good ones out there. And then, oh, as we've already mentioned, there are some very bad ones. But um, And I feel like John Shake has actually done a good, good good job in Arizona. Look at how that team finished the season. 
Um, I think they're going to be a lot better next year, and they have some good guys coming up. So there, there are some good gems in the league, um, but you're always going to get a mixed bag, I think. Uh, Connor says Dmitry Filipovich for the next Ducks GM after Bob. Burns. I love Dmitry. <laughs> Dmitry's great. If you guys don't follow Dmitry Filipovich, you should. He's awesome. So uh, uh, vote for him for the next Ducks GM then? <laughs> Sold. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to the next question here. This was from Connor again in the chat. Connor's got all the questions today. He says, if Perry is suspended, who takes his spot? And he says, Terry, maybe? Who do you think? I would think so. I would think yeah. Terry. Has to be. I mean, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but because you, you've got Jason Chimera and uh, Chris Kelly, who could take oh, his no, spot. Oh, wait, who? Who'd you say? <sighs> Captain Canada and, and Jason there you Chimera. Go. Could take his spot, but I mean the the realistic option, probably the best option, would be Troy Terry because he provides offense and he's got a lot more skill and a lot more to to add to the top six. I don't think you want to throw uh, any of those two guys into the other two guys into the top six because I'm going to avoid saying their names now, so I don't have to I don't have to say it. So <laughs> I, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I feel like if the if he gets suspended, you probably see Andre Cash stick on that top line. Uh, then the second line is still the same, and I feel like they just—it's an easy plug in, I think, to just throw Troy Terry on that third line with Henrik and Richie. Uh, I mean, it would I mean, why sense. not? At, yeah, it would make at sense. At this point, to do that. you got to do something. So, yeah, I feel <laughs> like that would be different. The, yeah, that would be the lineup. I think um, Antoine Vermette's a guy I would take on the lineup right now. Uh, he hasn't added anything, and, and we had talked about this on the last show. He's there to win faceoffs, and I don't even know if he has been or not because I haven't looked at the stats, but. I mean, the Ducks lost the face-off battle in both games. So unless he's the only one winning, winning face-offs, he's not really doing what he's paid for. I'd rather have Jason Schmier in the lineup. Maybe uh, the other guy in the lineup as well. So, <laughs> so maybe we could have one of those two guys going over, over Antoine Vermaen. And if Perry gets suspended, which I don't believe he does, Troy Terry's the easy fit to put on that line. Yeah, no, I agree, man. 100%. Uh, Troy Terry needs to slot in. Yeah, yeah, and looking at uh, the last question, I think from the chat, unless we have some more, it was Drew said. So going forward, who steps up to turn the ship around? What lineup changes are made, and, and anything like that? Lineup changes. Um, I don't see anything really changing on defense. Yeah. So we're not going to get an answer there to supply any sort of change. Those guys are just got to clean up uh, the, the small mistakes they've made um, on offense. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't. It'd I don't really like know minimal. who they're going to bring in here. It'd be minimal. I think. I feel like it would only be like an Antoine Vermette coming out or swapping Perry and Kasha back around. Uh, I think that's it because th- I feel like the lines are pretty much set after that. I mean, you're not moving Henrique off the third line. Maybe you bump Nick Ritchie off to the fourth line, but then who do you bring up unless you put Troy Terry in the lineup? I mean, there's a lot of small changes that could be made, but you're not going to see that second line split up. You're you're not going to see Getzlaff and Raquel split up. So there's not a lot of moves you can make, really. I mean, I don't think there's many lineup changes made unless, like I said, just some small ones, whether they decide to take Patterson or BX out, whether they decide to take Antoine Vermette out, or, or if they decide to put Troy Terry in. That's to the extent I can see of any lineup changes. Uh, for the second part of his question, who do, you, who do you think steps up to turn this around? Uh, I'm going to say it's Getzloff's line. He's the captain. Yeah. He needs to bring that lineup and, and score, uh, or at least assist on the goal. Um, I think Raquel, Raquel and Getzloff are going to be the answer there. I, I really feel strongly about that, is because Getzloff had a, had a pretty decent game tonight. 
Yeah. Um, he did have chances and yeah, he kind of like held on too long in a couple of plays, especially the one where he was in the high slot trying to make passing here, but he's the captain of this team. He doesn't want to go quietly. He's going to need to make some noise. And I feel like game three is a good start for him, uh, to, to go forward with that. So I'm looking to that line to kind of get this ducks team going. Yeah. I have to agree with you. I mean, I don't think Kessler's line is going to step up offensively and they, I guess they really shouldn't have to be asked to. I haven't looked at the, they've been great defensively. But did, did they shut down Pavelski's line for the most part again tonight? Because they did in game one. So if they did it again tonight, that's all you can really ask of them. And then Getzlaff and Raquel carried the load offensively for the Ducks in the regular season. And they haven't done that in this series. And yes, it's only been two games. But game one, they were pretty much non-existent. Game two, at least Getzlaff looked better. And, and Raquel, you know, he didn't look great. He was okay in this game. And... Out of a guy who is your top scorer and probably your second best player on the season, you need more than just okay. You need him to be great. I mean, you look at the, the Sharks' best players. Kucher has been great. Evander Kane has been great. Pavelski has been eh. But you've got other two guys, the two t- other two top offensive threats on your team playing great. So those are the two guys you're going to have to step up. If the Ducks are going to get back in this series, that first line, and specifically those two, are going to have to lead the way. Yeah, Kessler ended up having a five on five anyway, at fifty two percent. Cogliano at fifty two percent. Silverberg at fifty. Yeah, it's a decent. That's a decent job against uh, top offensive players in my mind. So good on the Kessler line there, and you know Silverberg potted the goal, so yeah. that line got a goal. So you need to look to the other lines to start supplying some offense, and we've we've seen the Kasha, Richie, and Henrique line kind of slow down towards the end of the year, but I really feel like that gets law for Kell. And Perry line or Kasha line, whoever you want to slot in there, needs to step up and do something because that's a line that was on fire towards the end of this year, and it's kind of cooled off. So we need to see that start happening or the Ducks aren't really going to get out of this series alive. Yeah. yeah. And then going into our last question, this one's from Twitter. Or sorry, our second last question, but this one's from Twitter. Alex asked, is home ice overrated? And also, is it possible that Vegas might have been the better opponent for the Ducks in the first round? So... I don't think home ice is overrated because you get your matchups. If yeah. you if you have the team to play up against, that's always good to have more games at home in my mind. I don't feel like it's overrated. And Vegas, I mean, I don't I don't think I'd want to play them. <laughs> they put up fifty four shots on the Kings and yeah. only won two to one. If not for Jonathan Quick, that game oh, would that have, been over. have been over. Yeah, five nothing. W- blown out. Yeah. So Vegas is very dangerous. Um, I don't think I still think the Ducks don't match up well. I did not think they'd have this much trouble with the Sharks. Um, yes, the games have been close, but I still still feel that uh, they were the better matchup unless they were playing the Kings. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think you know Vegas definitely would have been a better the better opponent, but if they could have got that matchup for the Kings, which I guess almost materialized because two of the three things happened in the last day where the Ducks won, the Sharks lost, and all the Kings had to do was beat Dallas, which would have happened if Jamie Benn didn't get a hat trick. So. <laughs> they end up playing, yeah. They end up playing the Sharks, but this was the second best option in my opinion for the Ducks, and I don't agree. I don't. I don't think home ice is overrated. Like you said, you get the matchups, and the, and the Ducks should have won both of these games, but they they didn't, and they should have at least got a split. And, and again, they didn't. They played better in this game, but they deserved to lose game one. Yeah, if you look at the stats, they almost deserved to to lose this game as well. It was close, but I feel like the Sharks had the edge. So. You gotta you gotta win yourself a game. You gotta show that you deserve to win a game. The Ducks haven't done that yet, so that I mean they have to do that. They they, uh, they have to win four of the next six to move on to the next round, where they're possibly gonna play the Golden Knights. 
And and that's going to be ten times harder than this, the way they've played. I mean, our boy Shea Theodore has looked amazing in that series. Oh, yeah. Everybody's looked good, but I, I watched some of that game the other day, and, and Shea Theodore, especially in overtime, I mean, he just looks like a completely different player. I mean, we, we loved him in Anaheim. He was a great player, but he's really found his home on that blue line with Vegas, and, and he's arguably one of the best guys they had. And I mean, they have a lot of guys who are considered underrated. Miller over there as well is a guy who had 41 points this year. But, I mean, it's disappointing watching him, but they're going to have to go up against this team if, they, if they're if they able to come back, and I don't think they're ready for that. No, that's going to be tough. I picked Ducks in six in this series, so they got to win four out. I think, I think uh, <laughs> that's a pretty tough, uh, tough hill yeah. to climb. Well, you told me before, too, or maybe you already mentioned on the show, but it's 70% of the teams that are up 0-2 end up winning the series. Or up 2 nothing. sorry, end up winning the series. So the Ducks have what? Like 78%. 78 So the Ducks have 22% yeah. chance to get back into this. So, I mean, there's a chance. Not good. But, uh, you know, there, there are teams who have come back from down 0-2. It's a thing. You know, it's a lot better than being down 0-3. If they go down 0-3, you can almost pencil it in as, as Sharks versus likely Vegas in the second round, but I'm holding hope. I am. I, I feel like if they can get the win and get in game three here, there's definitely some hope and they can ride the momentum and hopefully win both games in San Jose, but it's going to be tougher. I mean, San Jose is going to come out and play exactly the same way they've been playing. They don't have to change anything up. The Ducks are now the ones who have to switch gears and, and try and push the play against the Sharks. And we don't know. Joe Thornton could be coming back. I doubt they, they rush him back or they have to, especially being up two nothing. Uh, but if he finds his way back in this lineup, that's—I mean—that's—that's that's that's whole other, trouble, man. That's a whole other animal the Ducks have to deal with. They can't deal with the offense that the Sharks have currently, and then you add Joe Thornton to the mix. Uh, I mean, that's just—I mean, we could realistically see a line of Joe Thornton, Pavelski, and Evander Kane that now Kessler has to to task with shutting down. Which adding adding Joe Thornton is a huge upgrade over Jonas Donskoy, and that's not anything to discredit Donskoy, but. I mean, that would just be a whole nother level for them to to compete with, especially on the power play if the discipline doesn't change. So they got to win these games now uh, before he gets back in the lineup because once he does that, that's exponentially harder for them to win this series. I agree. Let's hit our, our uh, question on Reddit. Yeah, oh, we actually hit an hour. So our last our last question then on Reddit. Uh, a little bit of a long one, but we'll, we'll go through it. I'll probably break it up into some parts here. So Lonely Donut. On uh, on Reddit said, would you would love to hear your guys take on our current offensive system? Are we too slow? Do we need another coaching change? Do we dismantle the shutdown line? Kessler is very slow and looks like a beer leaguer. And who would you guys trade over the summer? So a lot of questions here. So we'll tackle the first one. Uh, are the Ducks too slow? No, I don't think the Ducks are too slow. I feel like uh, we talked about it a little bit on the show. Funny enough, but I feel like their system is yeah. just very predictable. There, it's not a lot of free-flowing hockey. It's not what you see with other teams. Um, to, as we talked about Dmitry Filipovich, he made a comment about the way Vegas plays. Vegas is very free-flowing hockey. They're able to kind of make and create as they please, whereas the Ducks just seem like it's very systematic. Coming across the blue line, cut back at the half wall, look to the point, get to the front of the net. Over and over and over and over and over again. And it's just not working right now. So that's how I kind of feel with the Ducks offense. I don't think it's too slow, though. They got some quick no. guys on this team. JT Brown, Ricard Raquel, Jacob Silverberg, Brandon Montour's fast. When Cam Fowler's in the lineup, he's quick. Um, and Getzloff's not fast, but he can move and dominate the play when he needs to. Yeah. So I don't think that, I don't think it's a, a player or personnel problem when it comes to team speed. 
No, I, I feel like this could be a team that could keep the pace with anybody in the league if they were set up to do that. I, I mean, Ricard Raquel is a quick player. And then you've got Cogliano. Who I didn't even mention fast. Kasha. Yeah, and you've got Silverberg, who's a fast player. I feel like the only two guys you can pencil in is, is not being that fast and then also not being like a Getzlaff-type player who doesn't matter if he's fast or not is Kessler and Perry. But then you've got Henrik, who's no slouch when it comes to speed. You've got Andre Kasha. And then the, the fourth line, as it's constituted, isn't necessarily that fast. But JT Brown, possibly Troy Terry next year. Uh, a bunch of different guys that could come up from San Diego or make the team out of the, the uh, CHL. You know, this team can be a fast team. It's just the system, I feel like, that's that's dropping them. And I forgot to mention Nick Ritchie is a guy who's probably penciled in as not being that fast. But you've got three guys who are slow. And then you look at the blue line. You've got when Cam Fowler's in the lineup with Brandon Montour. I mean, that's that's a speedy second pair right there. Lindholm can move at times. Manson, I mean, he's not known for his speed, but he, he's definitely not necessarily a, like a boat anchor like BX and Boschman are out there. So no. This team could be a faster team, and I feel like they could compete well with a team like Vegas if they were set up to play that way. And this leads into a second question, which we've already kind of touched on, but he said, do we need another coaching change? And I, I think yes. I mean, this team's transitioning now. Uh, out of being a contender, out of being able to play that heavy style and dominate to a team that's getting exposed for still playing like that. And this, they could be a, a completely different team if they were set up to play that way. I feel like they have the assets to, to play a completely different style that would work well for them and would work well in the way hockey's being played today for by successful teams. You look at, I mean, Winnipeg's a heavy team, but they don't play like it necessarily. I mean, they, they throw the body a lot, but they, they're still a quick team in the way they play. And I feel like the Ducks could play a similar type of hockey to what the Jets do if they were set up to play that way. I agree. I mean, you got a guy like Big Buff just leveling guys like Miko Koivu behind the net as he did the other night, which was insane. But then you also have guys like Nikolai Ehlers. You have uh, Shifley. You have Blake Wheeler. And, and Wheeler and Shifley are not small guys, but they can skate. Like, yeah. that team can like really move. I mean, they're, they're big yes. guys, but the, they use that to their advantage in, in the way they skate. I mean, they're not Connor McDavid fast, but they're not slow. And I, I just feel like the Ducks, and again, I've already mentioned this, but I feel like they have the the personnel to be a quicker team. They're just set up to still play that rough and tough, big body style of hockey that just doesn't really work. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It works if you have the speed, like the the speed strategy to go with it. They just don't. They like to play yeah. along the boards a lot. Mm-hmm. So what's what's what else did he say in this question? Uh, he says, "Do we dismantle the shutdown line?" And quoting that Kessler is very slow and looks like a beer leaker. So. Oh, my God. I think that's harsh. Yeah, I think he's harsh. doing his job. Um, he's also recovering from massive hip surgery. I get the criticism. Look, I understand he's not putting up goals like he has been in previous seasons, but I'm going to throw the guy a bone this, this year and see what he looks like coming out of summer and into training camp and beginning of next year just because this injury was horrific for him. The The amount of treatment he's had to endure – I mean, I wouldn't even want to be around that at all. I mean, putting in like, doing acupuncture with six inch needles and learning how to skate and walk again with his hip. I don't know. I don't think he's a beer leaguer. I think he's a guy working through a massive amount of pain and doing his best. And honestly, I think he's playing some of his best hockey minus his interference penalties in game one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's harsh, like you said, to call him a beer leaguer because he's dealing with that injury still. He's still rehabbing from that. You know, he has nowhere near the speed that he had last year. And that's not saying he was a quick guy, but he's not necessarily slow before his hip surgery. And now it's, I mean, it's just tough for him to get up to that top speed and, and really 
match the speed of some of the guys he's going up against. He's going up against a fast line in Don Square Pavelski and Evander Kane, and he's still doing a pretty good job of shutting them down. So you have to give him some credit there. I don't think they dismantle it. I, I don't really know what's the benefit of taking it apart right now. They're doing their job defensively. Offense has always been a struggle for them at times, and they really shouldn't. The offense shouldn't fall on their shoulders. It should be on the top line, and then secondary scoring should really come from the third line from Henry, Kasha, and Richie, who's supposed to be that second punch of offense. And both lines haven't really been providing that at all in the playoffs. And, and at times, you kind of see them disappearing during the regular season as well. Uh, so we'll answer his last part of his question here. Uh, he said, "Who would you guys trade this summer?" Um, shoot, that's, that's a good one. I would say Nick Ritchie to get something while he's valuable. I don't see, but we said before, we don't see Bob Murray doing that. Um, just cause it's, you don't really move a first round pick and it just, unless he's completely disappointing and he's not, he's just not where everyone wants him to be for a first round pick. Right. Yeah. But, uh, if you were to pick somebody else to move, I mean, if you really want to bring in a score, you're going to have to move a defenseman. I just, just what you're going to have to do. But this, this top line this top nine is pretty set in. And yeah. so maybe you have to move a forward as well. And I, I kind of want to ask you that, Eddie, we've talked it over uh, plenty of times and we felt like this top nine is not really going to budge until the kids and Sam Steele and Max Jones are like really primed and ready to come up to the NHL. We've talked about moving a defenseman, but if you really had to move somebody off the top nine besides Nick Ritchie, who would it be? So if I had to move somebody out of the top nine besides Nick Ritchie, um, I, I mean, it's so tough because you, like the question he already asked us is, do you break up the shutdown line? I don't think you can at this point. Um, if, if all bets are off and you can dismantle any line and move anybody out, I feel like the only guy you can really take out of that top nine, I guess, is Andrew, is Andrew Cogliano. I feel like he's the only guy you could maybe put down on a fourth line. I don't think he belongs there by any means, but I, I don't see how you could take Getzlaff or Cal Perry and take them out of the top nine. I don't see how you could take Kessler or Stilferberg or Henrik or Kasha the way they've been playing. And, and Cogliano's been playing well. And I just I feel like if you had to pick somebody, he'd be the guy I could pick because he, he'd be a good energy fourth liner guy. But I feel like he, he definitely can play above that. But I, I, if I had to pick somebody, if I was forced to pick somebody other than Nick Ritchie, I feel like he's the guy that could that would drop out of the top nine if you had somebody else to plug in there. What about shipping somebody out? If you had to ship somebody off this Ducks lineup in a trade and you can't pick Nick Ritchie and you can't move a defenseman, if you're moving a forward not named Nick Ritchie, who do you move? You know you're not going to be able to move... Perry or Getzlav, not saying I would move them. Uh, obviously, you're not going to move Raquel. Ketzer, you just won't be able to move that contract. So you um, got to move Kasha or yeah, Silver. that's what I'm saying. I mean, you, you pretty much have to move one of those two, and it would be in a package deal to bring in somebody else who can benefit this team. Uh, at this point, I would rather keep Andre Kasha because I feel like the you know there's still some upside there. For Silverberg, I, I, I mean, we've talked about him possibly being a 30-goal scorer for so long that it's, it's kind of getting old now. And that's, I mean, he's a good player. I'm not going to say he's not a good player. He's a, a third-line, fringe, second-line guy in my opinion. But uh, if I had to move anybody in a trade, it would be obviously to get somebody like Matchpatch right or somebody better. Then I would move out Silverberg in a package deal. I feel like that's the only other option. I, I wouldn't really want to move Andre Kasha out of the lineup at this point because I feel like he's just kind of scratching the surface of the type of player he can become. 
So, I mean, as we just spoke out right here about who we would move, hopefully Ducks fans who have any kind of knock on Bob Murray and his inability to bring somebody in, you got to understand the moves that he was kind of you know forced to make. When you have star players, no move clauses are a big, big deal. And Kessler got one, and um, Getzloff got one, and Corey Perry got one. You're not going to move Raquel because he's he's your your prime scoring guy. You hope he's able to step up again next year and get up to 40 goals. Um, so yeah, it's hard to rearrange this team when you have three of your core veterans making a ton of cash and you're not able to move them. So it's tough. That's a real tough, uh, tough question going into summer, what they're going to do. Um, I don't really feel like they're going to make any major moves this summer other than maybe bring in somebody for, for a defensive prospect to put in their, in their, uh, in their forward group. But, but like we said, but where, <laughs> where yeah. are they going to yeah. do it? I still don't see uh, a guy like Max Jones or Sam Steele or, or Maxim Comtois or even Troy Terry, honestly, being able to crack this top nine unless they make a trade. And there's no point in, in wasting these guys' talents uh, and playing eight minutes a night for the Ducks on the fourth line. I don't think – I mean, you could start the season if you really wanted to with the fourth line of Sam Steele, Max Jones, and Troy Terry if you wanted to because both Steele and Jones will be up with the goals or in Anaheim next year. But honestly, what's the point? I mean, you might as well play them, you know, 16, 17, 18 minutes a night down in San Diego than playing eight minutes a night on the fourth line uh, in the NHL with the Ducks. There's really no point to that. Uh, I feel like the Ducks can go out and get some some better fourth liners, some some guys that fit the way a fourth line should play in the National Hockey League. Um, I feel like JT Brown's still a good guy that could be a part of that. And then just maybe adding to that, Derek Grant's a guy that we still think should be here. If you can just get another left winger, to play with them uh, better than Chimera or Chris Kelly or anybody they have currently in the, in the lineup. I feel like even going down the goals and maybe putting Nick Cordillis or somebody like that up with Derek Grant and JT Brown, and, and that's the lineup for next year. Um, and then you've got the possibility, if they're doing well, and, and there's injuries or guys aren't playing well, to call up Max Jones, to call up Sam Steele, to call up Troy Terry from San Diego next year and see what they could do. But you know, that team is going to be fun to watch in San Diego next year. Being able to see all those three guys possibly playing on the same line because Terry's a right wing, Jones is a left wing, Steele's a center. Uh, even even if they're not on the same line, just seeing them all down there in San Diego is going to be fun to watch. But I, I don't see them starting with the Ducks. Unless a trade is made, this is pretty much the lineup we're going to be getting at the start of next year. I don't see any big free agent signings, again, because I don't know where they're going to fit. Maybe you bring in some bottom pairing guys on on the on defense to to fill in for Boschman, who's obviously leaving. BX is probably going to uh, BX. We think will probably be re-signed for a one year, one million dollar deal. But even if he's not, you know, you've still got Larson, Pedersen, Walensky, Jacob Magna, all these guys back in the blue line that you you would hope could take a step forward. But I think if they sign anybody in free agency, in my opinion, it it only really would be for the bottom pairing defense. Yeah, and unless Bob Murray decides to make some sort of crazy shake-up trade, that forward group's going to sit still. Yeah. Um, we got any more questions in our chat? Are we uh, putting a bow on this one tonight and, and praying for better results on Monday? Yeah, I think we can put a bow on I mean, we're still somehow over an hour, an hour 15. We always find a way to get there. And thanks to everybody who joined us in the chat. I know it's it's a disappointing loss again, and we still had a lot of you in the chat on the last game, and for everybody who came out, I can't name everybody, but looking at the recent one, Connor, Chase, Drew, Derek, 
Gordon Bombay made it in here a bit. And uh, we had some people earlier as well who came in. Quacking Steve was in here for a bit. So thanks everybody who came out to the chat. Anybody who's listening and isn't in the chat as well, thanks for coming out and listening. Uh, hopefully the Ducks can come out and get a win on Monday. We'll be back around the same time again on Monday, about 20 to 25 minutes after the game, and hopefully it's a win. I mean, it would be nice to talk about a playoff win. That would be uh, nice to throw into the memory bank for the... Uh, for the first inaugural season of our post-game show is to have a, a win in a playoff game to talk about. Yeah, that's what we want to have. So we look forward to that game on Monday night. It's at 7.30 again. Um, so tune in to the game and then stay tuned for us coming up. As, uh, as Eddie said, it'll be around the same time. Find us on iTunes. If you haven't already, hook us up with a five-star rating and click subscribe. Leave us a really nice review. We'd appreciate that. If you don't already know, we do a Forever Mighty three-star leaderboard. Pay attention to that on Twitter. It's how you win a free jersey or other prizes uh, from us. So get involved in that. All you have to do is get the right answers. And, and uh, I know that sounds really easy, but it's, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But the yeah. prizes are always cool. Yeah. So tune in there on Twitter. Give us a follow, and we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Have a great one.